Good morning. I had a little bit of mic trouble last week, so hopefully y'all can hear me okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you again for this season of Advent. And I just pray that as we worship you today, Lord, we just continue to press into this season of waiting, of celebrating your birth and waiting for your second coming. Good morning, everybody. I'm Kimberly. If I haven't met you yet, I am one of the priests here at Church of the Cross. I think this is officially like our fourth Sunday here. Um, So we're thankful to be here, and I'm thankful um, to be able to preach this morning and just share a word with all of you. By now, most of you have probably heard the controversy, if we can call it that, around the song, Mary, Did You Know?, To be honest, I didn't grow up in the church, so I actually was not familiar with the song until I started seeing like memes and having friends text me funny messages about it um, and criticism about the song. So if you are like me and you by chance aren't familiar with the song, it says that, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought, I'll go back, okay. So in one such post, these social media posts about the song, one person commented that it's just the time of year where half the population gets mad about Mary Did You Know, saying that it's mansplaining and that the other half rolls their eyes, insisting that it's just a poetic, rhetorical question. If, like me, you aren't familiar with the song, the opening verses say this, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. About the song, the writer Mark Lowry says that he just tried to put into words what he would want to ask Mary. If he were sitting down with her having a cup of coffee, he'd want to ask her things like, Mary, did you know that you were going to be raising God? What did did you know, and what didn't you know, about this baby that was in your womb that you would deliver? The song has also received criticism for its lack of theological depth. One theologian suggested that it is the most sexist Christmas song ever written. He says, can you imagine a song asking Abraham 17 times if he knew that he'd be the father of a great nation? Controversy, and dare I say, kind of cheesy Christmas song aside, We see in today's text from Luke 1 a different song. We see a song that is Mary's song. And she is at the center. This song is at the center of the gospel reading that we heard Paul read today and that we heard the children sing. Here we are reminded that, in fact, Mary does know. Mary knows an awful lot. And she has a lot to tell us about God Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56, is one of the few texts in the Bible where a woman is presented as the main character. And not only is Mary the main character here, she speaks prophetically to us. In his 1933 sermon on this text, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said of Mary, we see in this text that she is not the gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we so often see portrayed in pictures, but she is passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic. She speaks here a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones and humbling the lords of this world, of God's power and of the powerlessness of men. 
Earlier this week, a friend of mine in Phoenix, where we just moved from, she sent me a message sharing a post from one of her friends who a year ago lost her husband to cancer. The widow is a mom of four, and she happens to worship in an Anglican church. In the post, she on the moment that she knew her husband was near death. She says that in that moment, she felt a joyful urgency. And she whispered into her husband's ear with what she describes of a joy that comes from clarity, telling him to imagine it all, where he would soon be and who he would be with. She says that she knew he heard the expectancy and wonder in her voice. While most of us, thankfully, aren't experiencing a tragedy like the loss of a spouse, many of us are experiencing loss and tragedy in our own ways, and we are, after all, still almost two years into a pandemic. I recall when Advent came around last year, so many people kind of breathing a sigh of relief, feeling especially grateful for this season of expectant waiting and joyful urgency. The beginning of a new liturgical year for those of us who call ourselves Christians. These ideas of life lived in expectancy and wonder and joyful urgency, they feel pretty adventy, don't they? Advent being this season that is filled with joy and hope, waiting and reflection, a season of remembering Jesus' birth, but also remembering that we are still waiting for his second coming. As Peter described it last week, Advent is like living split between two time zones, living in the present as sojourners, but also informed by the past. I wonder if this is a bit how Mary felt when she was first approached by the angel Gabriel, if she experienced a joyful urgency after being told that she would become pregnant with the Messiah, and if it was with a joyful urgency that she went to visit Elizabeth. Our reading today begins here with Mary visiting her cousin, Elizabeth. And I'd love to take a moment just to refresh our memories a little bit about what happened before today's reading in Luke 1. Luke 1 opens up with Zechariah in the church and the angel Gabriel visiting him, telling him that Elizabeth will conceive. Zechariah, understandably, is hesitant. He has a hard time believing Gabriel because Elizabeth has never been able to conceive before. And she's also not that young. Elizabeth does end up conceiving, and around the time that she is six months pregnant, Gabriel makes another visit to a woman to tell her that she too is pregnant. He visits Mary, who in Luke 1.27 is described as a virgin who is engaged to Joseph. He greets Mary by saying, the Lord is with you which Mary is confused by at first, and like Zechariah, she's feeling a bit unsettled. Gabriel proceeds to tell her that God is honoring her and that she will conceive and give birth to a son, that she is to name him Jesus, and that he will be the Messiah. Mary, of course, has questions for Gabriel, wouldn't we all? But in the end, and unlike Zechariah, she believes Gabriel, and then she hurries off to see her cousin Elizabeth, and this is where today's gospel reading picks up. Maybe not that unlike the author of the song, Mary, Did You Know, I often find myself wondering what Mary, a teenager, soon to be wed to Joseph, living as an oppressed minority under Roman rule, and now finding herself pregnant with the Messiah, was feeling. 
I think perhaps the thing that the author of the song misses and the thing that most of us miss is that in her song, Mary has an important word for us. She, in fact, knows so, so much about God and about Jesus and the way in which Jesus would rule, a way that is a reversal of what people had known of kings and rulers before him. I didn't know that Tish was going to be here today, so I will reference her by saying, in Tish's New York Times newsletter this week, um, and I was texting with her about this a little bit as I was just reading and meditating on this gospel reading, Tish talks about um, a piece, her piece is about Mary and the joy and the pain of life. In her piece, she references the Eastern Orthodox tradition called bright sadness, and she wonders if the gladness, and, and she says that gladness and grief are never easily disentangled how we taste both longing and delight simultaneously in every moment of our lives. And she writes that Mary embodies this bright sadness. Verses 39 through 45 of Luke 1 are a narrative that tell us of this encounter between Elizabeth and Mary, both of whom are pregnant. In the news verses, we see Elizabeth and her yet-to-be-born son, John, as recognizing the yet-to-be-born Messiah. As Mary approaches them, John leaps in his mother's womb, acknowledging both Mary's presence and the significance of the child that she carries. Here we see God already at work to overturn the world's structures and expectations. The spotlight shines on Mary and Elizabeth, two lowly and shamed women through whom God has chosen to begin the transformation of the world. Today's reading from Luke is one that I find myself coming back to time and time again, and not just during Advent. And when it comes to the second part, which is called Mary's Song or the Magnificat, verses 46 through 55, which we heard the children sing earlier, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. But when we heard that gospel reading, did you catch the second half of it? I think oftentimes we're maybe more familiar with those opening lines which are significant and important, of course. But in the second part, Mary says, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. I think if we aren't careful, it's really easy to miss that second half, or to think of this sort of quiet, demure Mary, as Bonhoeffer referred to earlier. But the Magnificat is so important. In the second half, Mary's response, or Mary's response to the knowledge that she is carrying the Messiah, that she will give birth to Jesus, God in his great mercy looks upon Mary's lowliness as his servant, and he calls her blessed. Through the message from Gabriel, she is told that she will do and be something that feels impossible. We don't typically think of a servant, a young teenager, a minority who's oppressed, right, as blessed. But God does. He calls Mary blessed. And notice how Mary's prophetic announcement of salvation, it quickly extends from her and her individual person 
to cultural and systemic concerns. The words in these verses are for those who are directly affected by systems of oppression and who are pushed to the margins, but they are also for those of us who care about these people. They are for those of us who are striving to love our neighbors as we are called to do as followers of Christ. The word, these words are for all of us, all of us who are living in a broken world, who desperately are in need of a king like Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And here we see the paradoxical and prophetic nature of Mary's song and of our faith as a whole. With her words, Mary points us toward God's care, not just for us individually, for our individual faith and salvation, but care for those who are suffering under oppressive systems, systems like the Roman Empire that Mary was living under. Christians believed for centuries that Jesus came to rebel not against the Roman Empire and other systems and structures, but against sin and death and Satan. And while that is true, Luke also reminds us in his gospel that Jesus is a nonviolent king. He is a new type of king who resists Roman imperialism, and this helps us to better understand Mary's words here today. She won't allow us to think of individual salvation apart from Jesus turning the power structures of the world on their head. The beginning of the Magnificat, it focuses on the reversal of Mary's own situation. But she doesn't allow us to see just that. And often we do separate these two things, right? We separate our individual salvation and faith from this, this salvation that is needed of the power structures and systems of the day. And so much of this is true for our present culture that we're living in. We certainly need saving from. We certainly need God to come down and to diminish the power structures of the day. But this doesn't really fit into our kind of rugged American individualism, does it? It doesn't fit into the world that we have created and the things that we value and place over others. But God is undoing that world. He is presently undoing the world that we know, the world that we think is just right, the world that puts certain people and things over others. The paradox of the Magnificat is the paradox of our faith. This is the already, but not yet. It is the bright sadness, the joyful urgency. The concept of the already, but not yet, it's one that makes little sense outside of the Christian faith because it is paradoxical. It's seemingly absurd and self-contradictory. Already the reign of God has arrived. But when we look around, we often find ourselves pleading with God that his reign might yet come again. Is this not the paradox of Advent itself? Christ already came. He was born. He preached. He healed. He opposed the powers that be. He died, was resurrected, and ascended. And yet... We begin the Christian year waiting, preparing, and hoping for him to return. Mary speaks of God's actions in the past tense. She says, God looked. He did great things for me. He showed strength, scattered the proud, brought down the powerful, lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry, sent the rich away empty-handed, and helped Israel. These actions are in the past, but they continue in the present. I wonder how we see signs of the coming kingdom in our life and our world today, places where God has acted in the past and continues to act in the present, both individually and systemically. 
God acts on behalf of Israel and us through the womb of Mary. The ways in which God operates are a reversal of what we have known. And this makes me wonder, what am I missing that God is doing? Because I'm looking for him to act or do something in a really specific way. What are we missing as a church? How is God acting right now, but we're overlooking it because it's not how we expect it to be? Mary's song voices themes that appear in every culture, in every society, in every generation. People are still anticipating deliverance from unjust rulers and unjust law. We see right now nations living under communism, under dictators. We see unjust laws and policies in our own nation. At Church of the Cross, over the last several weeks, we've been praying through these prayers of the people that are written from prayers of people in our congregation. And in those prayers, we see that people are struggling financially. They are struggling with addiction and mental illness, conflict in their families, grief, and so much more. But we can rest assured that through Jesus, he is present in our lives, and he is no stranger to this pain and suffering. He acted, and he is still acting. And we see that in Scripture, God partners with people like Mary. Jesus partners with the Samaritan woman, John the Baptist, people who are servants. They are unassuming. They are outcasts. And he chooses these people to participate in this work for advocating for the marginalized and their salvation. Jesus is God's fulfilling promise to the oppressed people and the systems of brokenness in our world. The narrative of Mary's visit to Elizabeth, it speaks to us about Mary's participation in the salvation of people. Carrying the Savior in her womb and trusting in God's salvation, it gave Mary a chance to play an essential role in resisting the powers and principalities of her day in the Roman Empire. Christian faith is concerned with the reversal of the systems that existed then and the systems of oppression that still exist today. And this is key to one of the reasons that Jesus came and why he will return again. This is what we are to celebrate and where we place our hope in Advent, with Christmas just around the corner. In opposition to what the world centers, we serve a God who centers the lowly, a God who has and will continue to choose people like Mary to bring forth the good news of salvation, not just for individuals, but for systems, a full restoration, the kingdom realized here and now. God is actively working to make this a reality. So we too, as his followers, we get to participate in this, in this work of bringing a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven to those around us. Mary's words are inviting us to imagine how the world would look if Jesus sat on Augustus' throne and ruled with peace and justice. He rules not through violence, but he rules gently. Friends, this is Advent, and this is a life lived in the Christian faith, a life lived in the already but the not yet, in joyful urgency and bright sadness. As Christ followers in this Advent season, let us be a prophetic people, not just concerned with our individual faith and salvation, but concerned with the well-being of all, just as God is. Let's continue moving forward, waiting in hope for the second coming of Jesus. And we celebrate his first coming as a helpless infant, and let's wait 
with bated breath for his second coming, crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.